Hey guys, welcome to the Ronin Rabbit, a Usagi Yojimbo fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, episode 84 on its way. You can contact me, leaving a comment at bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit, or leave a comment on the Ronin Rabbit page on Google+, or you can email usagipodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on the post of the episode on the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo Facebook page. Thank you, Steve. Today, Usagi Yojimbo Volume 3, Issue 11 from March 1997, has two stories in it. The first, entitled The Lord of the Owls. The second, The First Tenant. Now, the dramatis personae for the first is Mayamoto Usagi and a new character, Oyama uh, Tadanori. Excuse me, sorry about that. And in the second, we see Lord Hebi and Kagemaru. Now, the first Lord of the Owls opens with Usagi wandering through a forest. Um, several Tokagi are watching, listening, scatter as he walks, whatnot. Um, makes me remember Spot. I, I, I really miss Spot. I, I liked Spot a lot. It's too bad he's gone. Uh, but as... Usagi is going through, he stops and draws a sword and wheels around, yelling, not yelling, but speaking loudly, who's there? And then as he continues to, you know, check his surroundings visually, he says, I I must be getting paranoid, and he sheaths his sword and continues on. However, we see here in the background, he is being watched by a gentleman um, who I didn't notice before, but now is dressed a little differently than he will be shortly. So I'll I'll bring up those differences when I talk about how he is dressed when we see him fully because he strikes a a very imposing figure dressed as he is. So Usagi wanders into a... uh, It's not really a town, but it looks like it must be some sort of inn um, as far as being able to get food, I'm not sure that you can sleep inside because it doesn't look like a very large building. And there is a group outside that eyes him uh, quite a bit as he walks up and he orders some tea. He's referred to as a mendicant ronin, which I thought was kind of interesting. The ronin we have seen before, um, that is, for those of you that are new, that is the word for a masterless samurai. But the word mendicant which is that's that's an english word apparently or an, or an anglo word of, of some nature and it is used to um explain that people that are prone to begging to get their money so he's he's a very very poor ronin uh, according to this who turns out to be uh, just a a thug basically with his or uh, i'm sorry i guess nowadays thug has kind of a, a a bad connotation worse than it's intended to um how about uh brigand uh he's he's a brigand so we see several panels of the scene here unfold as as usagi is uh, he cleans his hand waiting for his tea uh, the barkeep who is an anthropomorphic i believe mole it looks like uh, brings him his tea, and he tells Usagi that'll be one zeni, Z-E-N-I. Now, my question is, I believe the zeni uh, corresponds to a yen, but my question is, if anybody knows, is this a Dragon Ball Z Easter egg? Because that's the only place I've seen zeni used that I know of. So, anybody out there who who definitely is aware of that, let me know. 
Usagi pays, and by paying, of course, he he exposes his um, his money pouch. And now the brigands see that hmm, perhaps this poor, poor Ronin isn't as poor as they thought, and it is worth uh, rolling him to get his money, or, or perhaps even killing him, depending on how you know how evil a group they want to be. So they decide they're going to pressure Usagi, and he's sitting here quietly sipping his tea. They all get up and approach him. Um, I noticed that there is similarities in the characters. To me, they appear as three dogs and two cats. I'm not sure if that's uh, exactly what uh, Mr. Sakai intended. All of them have uh, whiskers because they are brigands. They don't keep themselves. They, they don't have the money, I guess. So, um, And they come up, and, and the one who is designate leader says, uh, enjoying your tea, Ronan? And Usagi responds. He, he takes a drink, and he says, it's a little bitter, but acceptable. Thank you. And at this point, I think the brigand, because of how um, put-offish Usagi was, presses his, uh, his ominousness and uh, Tells Usagi that um, they're they're brigands and they're very dangerous, so don't try to don't try to mess with us. You know, very uh, braggadociously, braggadociously, whatever the word would be there. Um, and, and I have seen that on um, movies and television shows. That it is a, uh, a trope, if you will, that toughs as they are portrayed from the uh, Edo period of Japan, uh, try to, to speak their toughness. They brag about how tough they are before they actually do anything. But then one of the brigands notices a sh- an- another person walking into town who looks much more formidable. Now, uh, eventually in this story, we see Usagi and this character side by side. Uh, this character is thicker and taller than Usagi. Uh, he's he's wearing the uh, katana, uh, wakasashi pair of swords. He's got a large uh, rain uh, straw rain cape or or coat. It's it's not worn as a coat. It's a big thick cape uh, called a mino. And then the hat. Now this is what I noticed before in the. Um, and, and I didn't notice this when I read the book, uh, just as I started the show here. In the forest, when we see him spying on Usagi, he's just got what appears to be a more normal uh, gasa on, the, the flat, kind of rounded um, hat that is indicative of this period of peasantry. To me, it looks very much like a walk uh, that is turned upside down and worn on the head. It's that shape, if, if you can picture folks that, that have seen a walk. Um, but this one that he has on, uh, the only reference I could find to it is that it is called a Ronin Gasa. It is the one that um, is, is worn, worn on the head, and it comes down, it, it drapes over the head, like down below the nose, and completely covers the face. And then it has some sort of small opening in it so that the Ronin can see out, but no one can see the Ronin. That way he can hide his identity. Um, so he's he's very imposing in size, but also he is apparently wanting to hide his, his features. 
So he walks through. He he doesn't really stop at the at the building, but he walks through on the path, drawing the attention of the brigands away from Usagi now. And they decide to follow him. They do into the forest here a little bit, a, a, a bamboo forest, a thicket, as it were. And as they approach him, they uh, surround him and tell him not to move. You know that they're going to uh, they're going to take what they want. And the individual lifts his hat up slightly, and you can see his eyes as he stares at them. And in his eyes are skulls. So he has he has a death stare. So immediately, these brigands are intimidated, but they decide that they are going to push what they presume is their advantage because uh, the samurai is outnumbered five to one. And as they do, in one panel, that's all we get, one panel, this samurai dispatches four of the five. And then as he's advancing on the fifth, uh, Usagi shows up, curious because as this stranger passed, it drew his interest, of course, the brigands went after this stranger, so that piqued Usagi's curiosity because he knew that they would be up to no good when they caught up with this person. And Usagi being the the person of good that he is, you know, he wanted to watch to see, uh, per- perhaps to help this person, but to be there as, as a force of good, as it were. So he comes up on this samurai just as he's about to dispatch the last brigand and Usagi kind of talks it out, talks him out of it, but my impression is that the samurai was not really all that intent on killing him, anyways. It was kind of a an either or, you know. And given a little reason to not, he's like, okay, whatever, you can go. So as Usagi is considering, you know, what has happened, uh, he does so with his back to the brigand, which I, I can't imagine he would normally do, but he does. So the brigand takes the opportunity, seizes a samurai sword, a drop sword from one of his fellows. I'm sorry, it's not a samurai sword, it's a, it's a katana. Uh, from one of his fellows, charges Usagi, and Usagi immediately dispatches him. Thinking, you know, my, what what a waste. All, all of this death, um, you know, just for some copper coins, it's just, it's ridiculous. So Usagi continues on his journey, singing, spring has come, spring has come, where has it come, on and on. And he hears a voice so you killed him. And Usagi whirls around with his hand on his katana, slightly drawn. Not completely, but just slightly. And he, he thinks, My Darokan did not detect his presence. He can conceal his hua. Amazing. And he asks, How did you know I slew the bandit? And the samurai tells him, Because there was a death on your face. Usagi introduces himself, which is pretty typical before a, a duel. And the stranger introduces himself as Oyama Tadanori. I look forward to seeing more of this individual because um, they end up not doing anything. He walks off, leaves Usagi saying, we will meet again. Usagi recognizes him, though, as being called the Lord of Owls. And the Oyama responds, yes, because an owl is a premonition of death. So when someone sees him, that means their death is approaching. Um, owls were an omen of that, so the, the link was made among those people, perhaps that escaped his death or that watched as he dispatched his death. 
Um, little interaction here between the two, and then Oyama goes on his way, leaving Usagi slightly befuddled, you know, as to... I, I think it's kind of that what-just-happened-here kind of thing. You know, Usagi's going over everything in his head as Oyama just walks off. All right, so that's the end of the first story. The second story, we start at the Jorenji Temple outside the city of Edo. And we see Lord Hebi is here. A ninja is on the roof, sneaks inside, and we see that the ninja is Kagamaru. He thinks as he slips inside that Hebi doesn't recognize him. Now would be the chance I could kill him. But then Hebi speaks, letting Kagumaro know that he does know that he is indeed there, which is interesting because as far as we know, Hebi is um, just part of the, the aristocracy at this point. Uh, but Kagumaro is a ninja, so his world, his life is moving undetected. But yet, Hebi was able to detect him. So it kind of automatically, it kind of made me think anyways. I won't assign this to anyone else that read it. But um, perhaps there's more to Hebi than, than we, we know at this point. And we see a little bit more of him uh, in this story, which I thought was cool. But th- that's interesting that he has. I guess what, what we're relying on is the usage of his Dairokan um it is so the the is so profound that he has uh, this ability to detect even those that are supposed to be un or indetectable. So Kagamaru is here, and he hands Hebi a dispatch. Hebi reads it, makes uh, makes a pronouncement that ah, this is the uh, conspiracy agreement against the Shogun. And Shogun, uh, we have been introduced to that word before, is the military, the overall military dictator of Japan. The power at this time in Japan. Uh, not so much the emperor, but the Shogun. And then Hebi immediately attacks Kagamaru as being the um, originator of this missive. But Kagamaru says, no, no, it was Shizu. She is the one because Shizu is the leader of the clan. And Kagamaru quickly, very quickly, <laughs> gives her up. Uh, th- this little story here, this um, it shows us that Kagamaru is perhaps a um, a coward uh, when, when, it, when, when push comes to shove. Uh, he doesn't uh, show himself very well in this story. But Hebi releases him and, and they talk. He has a, an opportunity to further look at the missive and he sees that it's an incomplete list because all it has is the names of the conspirators and handprints. It, it has n- no signatures so that you know who is who because, of course, there, there are no handprint files on record to match up. And Kagamaru says, I know this is just to show what's going on. Um, the Shizu gave me this part of the letter to watch, but apparently she doesn't trust me completely because she kept the other part. Further discussion here, uh, we see that Hebi decides that perhaps it's time for Shizu to go, and um, Kagamaru take over as the Jonin, which is the leader of the ninja clan. And he dispatches him to go back, Kagamaru, to go back about his his job. Go back and, and do what you're doing. Keep me appraised. 
So he hops, bounds, lump, jumps, leaps away, Kagamaru, as, as a ninja, I guess, is wont to do. So the next morning, Hebi and his entourage leave the temple, going back to Ido, and they're attacked. They're attacked by a huge band of brigands. Hebi quits himself quite well. And we see in comparison, which this isn't done very often, but in comparison, the size of Hebi. Hebi is a snake. Um, and he is not an anthropomorphic snake. He is just a big snake. Owning to his personality, I suppose. Um, but roughly his head is about half the size of a human. That's how large a snake he is. So he is... Um, a, he's a giant compared to the rest of the people in this world. He, he acquits himself quite well in, in defending his person. However, ultimately, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 13 brigands uh, surround him as they have killed all of his guards. And as they press the attack against him to finish him off, uh, Kagomaru's, uh, a, a, a band of, of Kagomaru's ninja happened and I'm throwing up big air quotes here, happened to have been nearby, and they jump to defend Hebi, and they do so. And we see as Kagomaru runs down the leader of this brigand clan to dispatch him, that he says, but you're the one who hired us to... And before he can finish it, Kagomaru kills him. Far enough away that no one else heard that but Kagomaru. Or so we think. It's possible, by the way it's drawn, that Hebi may have heard... Uh, just depending, among other things, how acute his hearing is. You know, he's he's able to do several things that are are above his normal-looking station, appearing station. So we don't know. It's not given to us whether he did or did not. Uh, Hebi gives Kagomaru some grief about the fact that he killed all of them. You know, it would have been cool to kind of capture somebody so that we could get some information from them. And Kagomaru says, he apologizes, he drops to a knee and says, I await your punishment, whatever you dole, I deserve. Um, and Hebi looks at him, Kagomaru stays slightly bowed with his eyes closed in a, in a very submissive uh, pose, till Hebi finally says, you may have saved my life this day, there will be no reprimand. Rest assured, Chizo will be taken care of, then the Nico Ninja clan will need a leader with your foresight. Consider me your patron. I will place the Nico Ninja above all other vassals, which is what Kagamaru was hoping for by bringing him the uh, traitor missive. Now, in the back here, a um, couple answers to questions. Probably the one that got my attention was several issues back where Usagi was recovering from an attack. He was laying when we get to him, and there is a, a bag suspended over his head on a uh, by a, a monopod, and, and I was curious about that. Sure enough, uh, someone asks about that, and we are told that the bag contains various medicinal herbs. Um, if you're interested in that stuff, Chinese Folk Medicine by Heinrich Walnofer and Anna von Rotascher is a good book for the layman. So there's a little bit more insight uh, for those that are interested. So the terms that we have been exposed to this issue we've seen before, Ronin, Shogun, Jonin, but the Dairokan, 
maybe we have had that. I'm not sure. That is the, uh, that is a sixth sense, you know, a, a, a sense of danger, sense of things not being what they appear that uh, certain warriors have. And the other is the wa, which is the spirit of an individual. That that um, almost I, I envision that almost like the aura. Um, and and I spoke about the word mendicant, uh, the the Zuni that was interesting. The Minu and Ronin Gasa that Oyama wore, making him look very very imposing, very imposing indeed. Um, I also thought it was interesting that we see that Lord Hebi is also one to make pilgrimages out to temples to pray, to speak with his ancestors, to whatever the, the case may be, and journey back to his home, uh, making these religious pilgrimages as we have seen others, uh, uh, common people do. So Lord Hebi also is prone to do that. And then, as I said, a little bit of confirmation that that bag dangling over Usagi's head in that final scene, or not final scene, but in that scene in the issue was was medicine. And perhaps, I don't know if it was the medicine proximity, or perhaps the fact that the medicine um, also had liquid in it, and the liquid was dropping on his head, kind of a, a almost a, a poultice kind of situation. So I think that's everything that uh, struck me from this issue, guys. Um, Next time up will be Volume 3, Issue 12, cover dated April 1997. And I will talk to you guys then. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production. And as such, is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, Non-Commercial, Non-Derivatives 3.0, Unported License.